Well, it's already been a wonderful morning in worship as we've come to the Lord's table. Turn in your Bibles now to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, but we also want to look at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. So if you can do that, if you're new to Bible study, there's one in Purack right in front of you, or go ahead, turn on your digital device, whatever you need. Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs in the Old Testament, as is 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 11, we're going to try and hit on two places here, really walking through uh, Proverbs chapter 4. So Mike, come on up here. This is Mike Greer. And Mike is going to read our scripture this morning for us. And I told the first hour that uh, Mike has been such an incredible friend to this pastor. There are two firsts in the life of Mike Greer with this pastor I want to communicate to you. And the one is he was our first deacon chairman. So when I came here, um, he was the very first chair of the deacons that just walked with me and loved me and encouraged me. And so I will never, ever forget that, Mike Greer. And then second... Um, was the time we were on a mountain outside Salt Lake City. And this guy loves missions. This guy loves reaching people. And we went on a vision trip to Salt Lake City. It's the first time we had been there as a church. And we climb up this uh, mountain and we overlook this city that is just uh, lost, just completely lost as far as the numbers of uh, believers who are there. It's really, really small. And so Mike was there with me. And so I remember those two things. So I've invited him to come and just lead us this morning. Wonderful leader. He loves you all dearly. So let's stand for the reading of the word this morning as Mike begins in 1 Kings chapter 11, and then just one simple verse, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Mike? Thank you, Pastor. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And for Proverbs, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, brother. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the teaching and the reading of his word this morning. Proverbs chapter 4. Turn over there, verse 20, and listen to what it says. It says this, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight and keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And then verse 23, the verse that Mike just read, keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of your heart flow the springs of life. So why did I read that introduction there? Well, to 
bring us up to speed with where we are in our reading plan. I encourage you, jump in where you can. You see the, the list of scriptures that are there in our bulletin. We've been walking through the scriptures together. And so jump in wherever you can, catch up if you can in your, in your Bible reading. And so far, we have now moved into the administration of King Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs. And last week, we looked at this king who, at the beginning of his reign, asked God for one thing, because God came to him and said, if there's anything you need, what is it? I'll give it to you. And he said, I need wisdom. I need to understand how to govern your people. And God gave it to him, and God gave it to him by the bucket loads, because it says in 1 Kings that people from all over the world, nations came to hear the wisdom that he had. And he wrote 3,000 proverbs, and he composed 1,500 songs, and he knew about science, and he knew about construction. In fact, he built the glorious temple there in Jerusalem, the very first temple. He built himself a palace, and he built the infrastructure of Jerusalem, and he built the army. He, he made a way for the army to be strengthened, and the borders to be secured, and the nation to be prosperous. And God blessed Solomon through his ability to govern and through the wisdom that he had been given. And he not only gave him wisdom to govern, but he gives us wisdom to live by. Wisdom to live by and to walk by. And it comes in the form of this book called Proverbs that you've been reading. These great, great nuggets of wisdom that remind us of how we are to live on a daily basis so that we live godly lives, reflected of the character of God himself. So Solomon writes most all of these Proverbs. But here's the thing. If you were paying attention to 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon took a downturn from the wisdom and the walking after God at the beginning of his ministration. Forty years later, he ends on a decline. Why? Because, plain and simple, he didn't guard his heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23. He gives out all this wisdom. He, he wants the, his son, he wants the, the next generation, he wants the families of Israel to have all of this wisdom. Be attentive, he says. We just read it. Bend your ear down to it. If you have it, hold on to it. This wisdom is precious. And this wisdom says, guard your heart. And I'm just wondering if Solomon is not only saying that because we believe the Scriptures are inspired by God. Guard your heart. But because of his experiences as well, he knows what happens. He knows where he's headed. He understands the pain of disobedience. He understands the pain of being distant from God in his sin. He understands God's displeasure at what he's done. And so he screams out. He cries out throughout this book. Guard your heart. May wisdom just pour into you and you hold on to it. I hope you can sense his urgency. I know as a father just how urgent I am for my son to know wisdom, to have it. And I know how urgently I want to communicate things to my son that really, really matter. And this thought was brought home to me this past week of just how urgently I long to communicate with my son and to, to sense that he knows what I'm saying to him, even if it's something as simple as, as where he is. So this past week, my son, 
goes on a uh, end-of-year school trip down to Florida. So they load up the buses, and they left last Sunday afternoon. And uh, he has a phone, and, and so, you know, I try and communicate with him often, but I remember my dad, my dad even to this day will say, hey, son, have you called your mother? <laughs> have you touched base with your mom? You know, dad's always prompting. You know, and so as Harrison took off for the first time uh, on a trip where he's going to be gone for, for a while, I'm, I'm wondering, is he going to communicate with his dad? Is he really going to do it? Because I really long to, to know where he is and what's, what's going on. So they left last Sunday, and I started texting like a worried dad, right? And so it started uh, after church. Just, you know, as he was gone, I said, hey, Harrison, you doing okay? Everything all right? I, man, I'm already missing you. And um, not, not a whole lot of response. So Sunday after, Sunday, I'm looking here, <laughs> Sunday afternoon, about 4, 4.30, they've been gone for about four hours, you know, way, well down the road. Um, hey, you guys okay? And I finally got a response. Detailed, long, heartfelt, passionate love for his father. Yep, having fun. That was it. <laughs> It's great. All right. And I wrote, you can see it right here. Thank you for responding. <laughs> and, then, and then that night, uh, 9 o'clock, are you there yet? Um, 10 o'clock, you guys there? Um, can you let me know? I'm thinking, you know, if, they, if the bus ran off a cliff, they would let me know, so he must be okay. Um, so I waited, patient, all the way to Monday at noon. Hey, thinking of you, um, hope you're having fun. Got another response, Monday. Yep. That was it, all right? So um, Monday night, how fast forward here? Monday night, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Uh, let's see, Wednesday, 10 o'clock. Please let me know you're okay. Let me hear from you. Thursday, okay, they're coming home Thursday, all right? Um, I've gotten four words back to this point. Uh, are you on the bus or are you still in Orlando? I just wanted to make sure. Uh, and then finally, we are two hours out. And that was it. So, hey, look, a dad wants to communicate with his son. Solomon wants to communicate with you. The Holy Spirit wants to communicate with you something very urgent because it's not only true to the scriptures, but it's true to his experiences as a fallen dad. And here's what he says, guard your heart. For out of your heart come the springs of life. So thought number one this morning, right out of our text, verse 23, just simply guard your heart, he says. For from it flow, as my study Bible says, from it flow how you'll think. Your heart is the seed, is, is the source of, of how you think. It's your emotions. It's your decisions. It's the choices you will make come from the inside. And we always think that it's what's on the outside that, that, that gets inside that messes it up. And Jesus corrects us here. All the way in, in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has a commentary here on this passage. You see, Jesus is in this conflict with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these religious leaders, and let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They were trying awfully, awfully hard to please God and to be godly. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to please God. God. And so they, they took the law and they added to it and they heaped up all these rules and traditions about the law. And they come to Jesus in Mark chapter 4 and they say, or Mark chapter 7, and they say to Jesus, hey, your disciples are not washing their hands like they're supposed to before they eat. Don't they know what the law and the traditions say? They're defiling themselves. And they don't wash the vessels. They don't clean them out like they're supposed to. And so what's on, what, here's what they're saying. What is on the outside is working itself in to corrupt 
This is what we do when we kind of get in legalism, pharisaical, religious mode. We think it's on the outside. That's why there's, there's so many efforts to stay separate and to be apart and to stay. All right, and, look, and I get it. I understand I'm a dad. I want my kids not to engage in certain activities. I understand that's not what I'm saying. But here's where Jesus dials right in, and he says it's not what's on the outside that defiles man because it's in the heart. He says in Mark 7, verse 14, he calls the people, in the middle of this, he calls the people to him again and he says to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he said, what comes out of a person defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So Jesus himself makes comment on Proverbs chapter 4, 23, when he says, it is the condition of your heart that will determine what you say and what you think and what you'll do. So therefore, guard it. Keep it. Be vigilant over it because from it flows the springs of life. So secondly, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 4 then. How do we guard and keep our hearts? Here's what Solomon says. Verse 24 then. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. So here's what we're going to do over the course of the next few moments, a few moments we have together. It's like we're walking into the cardiologist into his office. And the cardiologist maybe gives you a stress test and they have a reading or maybe he takes a picture of your heart and he says, okay, here, here's, here's where your heart is sick. Here's where it needs a little bit of strengthening. Here's where the weakness is. This is where it is really messed up and this is what it's going to take to fix it. All right, so what does Solomon say? He says, number one, put away all of the crooked speech. In other words... What you say comes from the heart, but guarding what you say and speaking honestly and truthfully, lovingly, full of grace, how you speak then helps shape your heart. It's both an indicator of what's inside, but also a practice to help you fix what's inside of you. Waltke, this great, great Old Testament professor and teacher says this. Here's what Solomon is talking about. Speaking the truth with your tongue. He says this is speech that distorts or disfigures or dissembles and deforms the truth. Crooked speech. When Solomon says to put away from you the things like devious talk, what he's talking about is lying and deception and insensitivity and hurting others and disfiguring and blowing things out of proportion and speaking in a way in which you're almost speaking violently against other people. He says this comes out of a heart that's caved into yourself. And because of that, either you speak out of a, of, of a heart that wants either to protect oneself or to push an agenda 
or to hurt somebody else because you have been hurt. And Solomon says, listen, I want you to guard your heart. And one of the ways in which you're going to have to guard it is by what you say. And one of the tests of a follower of Jesus, one of the tests of, a, of someone with a heart that is soft and open to Christ and submissive to Christ and longing for Christ to work inside of him first and longing for Christ to work inside the body of Christ and longing for Christ to work in other people is a heart that is yielded and open. And when it is soft, out of the heart doesn't come harsh, divisive, deceitful, crooked things but out of the mouth come things that are true and full of grace that follow along the lines of the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and self-control. This is how we speak. And over and over in the Proverbs, it talks about your heart and what comes out of your heart comes through your mouth. Turn the page over to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12. Listen, look, look at what he says here. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. Same term. He winks with his eyes, he signals with his feet, he points with his finger, and with a perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. When I read that verse, I couldn't help but think of this image of a baseball coach. Solomon says, you want to know what a picture of crooked speech looks like? Of people who, who, who are devious, who, people who are divisive, people who, who want to lead others astray. This is what it looks like. He says it's one who winks with his eyes and points with his fingers. And, and it reminds me of a baseball coach who is on the third baseline. You ever watch baseball? And, and we don't really watch those coaches a whole lot, but sometimes the things they do is pretty funny. And so you have a runner who's maybe on first base and he wants to steal second base. And that third base coach has a direct sight to where that runner is going to steal. And he also has a direct line to the back. And so his job is to communicate to the runner and also to the batter the signals of how they are going to carry out this next play, whether he's going to bunt, whether it's a hit and run, whether he needs to steal, whether he needs to hold off, whatever it is. And so this third base coach, you've seen it before, he has all of these signals, doesn't he? He'll like tug at his hat, he'll like wiggle his ear. He might look his, look his fingers. He might do this. He might do this. He might, he might, he might do a turn. He, he'll do all these different signals. And what is he doing? He's signaling to the runner. He's signaling to the batter. This is the play. This is what you're going to do. But he's doing it in such a way where he's deceiving the other team because he doesn't want them to know what's going on. And this is what Solomon is saying. Put away the type of speech. Put away the talking. Put away the lying. Put away the hurtful communication that you share with people like you, and you want to make sure no one else sees that. This is dangerous in a church, folks. This is dangerous in our church. This is dangerous when there is this sense of, of talking, where is this sense of communication, there is this sense of speaking in a way in which there are those who, who have their little language and they have their little understanding of what, these, of what this means and where their hearts are, then there are those who don't have that. That's dangerous. Instead, what we long for 
is to speak like Jesus with great truth, with great honesty, without fear to one another. Because the truth is ultimately what matters, but also to do so with great grace, with a sense of understanding that we're not afraid of the truth. We're not afraid to be honest, but we also want to make sure that truth and grace are coupled together so that we love one another well. And when the world looks at this place, they say, hey, they speak truthfully with one another, but they also speak with great charity and great compassion and great grace and great love. This is what it means to guard your heart with the way that you speak. Thirdly, look straight ahead with your eyes. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Now, let's go back to Solomon here. Solomon is writing, let your eyes look straight ahead. And in the passage that Mike read from 1 Kings chapter 11, here's where we understand if we were to, to back it up a little bit, Solomon has married all of these wives. And um, it says in the text that he had 700 princesses for wives and 300 concubines. And, and that's, that's a lot of wives. That's a, that's a lot of wives under, under one roof. And here, here's where Solomon's eyes are. It's in a couple of different places, all right? His, his eyes aren't looking ahead to a biblical, to a godly understanding of what marriage is. His eyes are, are looking around, maybe at the culture around him where the kings had all of these wives. It was just what the kings did. It's what David, his father, did. It's what the other kings did. If they wanted to maintain the status that they had as kings, hey, we're going to go and have all, as many wives as we want to have. Maybe he was looking at the beauty of these women. There's no question that, that he is looking at them for the pleasure that it can, can give him. Maybe he's looking at it out of political expediency. I think this is really the number one reason, if you want to be honest. He, he looks at the nations around him. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 3 says one of the very first things he did in his administration was he went and he married whom? The daughter of Pharaoh down in Egypt. Why? Because he knows the power of Egypt. He knows he's got to stay close to Egypt. You know, he's got to stay close to his neighbors. So what does he do? He, he marries the daughters of all of these kings and all of these princes so that he can maintain what? Relationships with these nations for, for protection, for the security of the, of, of the kingdom, for the provision of the kingdom, for all of these reasons to protect the kingdom. His eyes are on these other nations. His eyes aren't looking straight ahead. And so when Solomon says, listen, look forward, keep your gaze in front of you, he understands that it is so easy for the human heart to want to find security in other places other than God. And so our hearts turn and gaze towards a certain way in which we want to secure and satisfy our own hearts. He knows Solomon knows, the Holy Spirit knows that we have desires and we have pleasures that if our eyes take us in that direction because our hearts crave after that, he knows we're going to get off the wrong path. Solomon knows that whatever our hearts crave, you name it, what does your heart 
crave right now that where we look to find it is ultimately where we'll go, which brings up thought number four this morning. Consider the path of your feet. Number three and number four go hand in hand. He says this, ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your feet away from evil. So your heart, your heart is is the source. It has desires. It has cravings. From that comes how we speak, but also from that comes where we look, and this is what we're after. And if we're not looking ahead, if we're not straight forward and understanding this is the design and this is the direction of God for us, we're going to stay watching him, then we'll veer off the path. I don't remember much about my driver's training experience when I was 15 years old, but I do remember this one thing that the instructor told me. He was seated in the seat right next to me. I remember how nervous, how nervous you are on the road. You don't want to make a mistake. You know, you're doing everything, everything with great precision and rigidity, you know. And, and he says, hey, I want to tell you one thing, kind of this gruff guy. I want to tell you one thing. This is the one thing you need to know about driving. He says, you keep your eyes, if there's a car in front of you, in the license plate in front. And if there's no car there, you keep it in the center of the road. Because where your eyes go is where the car will go. Got it. Yes, sir. Never forgot it. This is what Solomon's saying. Where you look, where your heart leads you to gaze, where your heart leads you to wander, just like the children of Israel in the book of Exodus that we mentioned when we came to the Lord's table. Just like Solomon, who looks around and then pursues these, uh, these wives, and these wives pull his heart where? Ultimately to serve other gods. Consider the condition of your heart this morning. What's it like? What does it crave? What does it desire? What is it? What is it? What comes out of your mouth? And what does what what comes out of your mouth say about your heart? Where are you looking this morning? And know this: the only remedy for a heart that needs fixing, we have to be careful here. Is simply not doing better. Not like the Pharisees, not like the religious people who said, you got to do better. Uh Uh-uh. The only remedy for a heart and a mouth and eyes and feet that are off track is found in the gospel, what we just remembered and celebrated this morning. It is only found in the one who has come who can transform your heart and the sin and the corruption and the sickness and the weakness, and the desires, and the longings that can only be filled by the one who made your heart. Only him. I urge you this morning, I plead with you this morning, turn to this Jesus who can change your heart. Will you pray with me now? Father, thank you for the words of Solomon, who, who learned just how difficult it was to follow you and to pursue wisdom 
all the way to the end. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn from him this morning and the warning, the warning that you gave him and the warnings that are found in Scripture and the, the joy and delight that is found in a heart that chases and pursues after Christ. Even in our sin this morning, we come to you and we confess and we say we long for a heart, Father, that only you can give. And we long for mouths and we long for eyes and we long for feet that walk and speak and look on the ways that you have provided for us. So this morning, Father, would you, would you speak to every single person this morning? Would you challenge and would you convict? Would you encourage and would you strengthen? And would you, by your word and by your spirit and by your grace, bring truth to light, bring forgiveness and mercy, all because of the person of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen and amen.